violence and with fragile internal systems. So this lovely map here, Wikipedia, um, uh, shows countries or places of conflict in the last 12 months and that is current as of the 10th of March this year. So there's different colours depending on how many deaths um, there has been. Um, World Vision, Baptist World Aid and Compassion all have key places to pray for and you can sign up to be a prayer partner with those if that's something that you're interested in. The places of conflict include um, Northern Ethiopia, Haiti, Lebanon, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, Syria, South Sudan, Venezuela, Afghanistan, Myanmar, Yemen, Russia and the Ukraine, Somalia, Kenya, Iraq, Colombia, the Congo, Mexico and West Papua. I can't fix it, but I can pray. So um, if you just want to turn to the people around you and if you just want to pray however you're led um, for the brokenness in our world, the things that are in disharmony, may we pray for God's harmony. And I'll close, I'll give you a few minutes. Father, we cry out for peace and stability for everyone. We pray for your protection over those who fled their homes. We ask that you comfort those caught in those situations. That's why we come to church. It's not the only reason. Alrighty, so as you can see, we are going full on. You have a handout and everything. So this will cover you for the next nine weeks. So feel free to bring it back with you. Um, there will be more copies available if you happen to forget it. We will actually only be doing one page of this today. So it will look like this. It's Talk Outline Unit 1. It's very pretty. I didn't do any of this. I literally just pressed the print button. So I want to acknowledge up front, first and foremost, that this material is totally, totally, totally Vaughan Roberts material. 
So um, Vaughan Roberts is a pastor in the UK, a minister in the UK. Um, He's written an amazing book called God's Big Picture and we're going to be working our way through the material in that book. Um, This is stuff that I, um, some of it is mine to be honest, it's not totally, totally his have to have some say in it. Um, So this is material that I actually presented as part of my job. So I work for a Christian organisation called Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students. I work at Flinders University campus with the Christian group on campus there. And um, this is sort of nine hours of material kind of condensed for us into a lot less than that, but I did it for them in four hours. And I talked really fast and I (laughs) went over time. Um, But I've taught it in a number of different contexts and ways, but this is primarily what I've prepared for the students. So if you ever wonder what I do in my job, this is part of what I do. And if you think um, that it's valuable and it's helpful to be provided for free for uni students, then feel free to consider paying me in something other than shakers and getting on board. I am um, treated as a missionary um, and so I raise my salary through um, the generosity of um, Christian brothers and sisters. So if you want to get on board and contribute to that, that would be amazing. Okie dokie. So... um, Yeah, so this is prepared for that context, but I just get, this is my jam, this is my, this is my happy place, this topic, so, um, so I just got so excited about the idea of actually teaching it that I said to Gav, I'm, I I have this, I have this series, and he's like, brilliant, and little did I know that I would then be (laughs) replacing him for nine weeks, (laughs) so it turned out to be pretty good timing. So, um, but the other thing to be aware of with this is that it's, this is not so much a sermon series, this is more a teaching series, and in some ways there's not a lot of difference between the two, um, but this is sort of focusing more on head knowledge and understanding than necessarily sort of the exhorting kind of building up kind of stuff that happens in, um, traditionally in a sermon. Um, but... But I still think that's really important. And one of the things that I've been observing recently is that um, when you read the prayers of Paul in his letters to the churches, most of his prayers actually talk about that he wants the people to grow in their knowledge and understanding so that their wisdom will grow, so that they will grow to be like, in like, like-minded, in unity in the gospel, so that they know what it is that they believe and then that filters through into their behaviours. So um, actually, knowledge is a really helpful thing. It's not the only thing, but it's really important that we do know what's in the Bible, what it says about Jesus and how we then um, can sort of understand how God operates, how he relates to his people, how that has changed over time and how um, we can respond to Jesus as a result too. So I'm really, really excited for this because like I said, this is my jam. I'm a historian archaeologist originally, um, though a very imperfect one. Um, I don't like being outside. So yeah, archaeology was not a great... Great choice, but I really like the theory. So, um, so yeah, so classical archaeology, all the mythology and that kind of stuff. So it dovetails really neatly with Old Testament studies. So, so yeah, so if you want to, you obviously can re-watch this sermon at some point because I know you're going to be super keen to do that. Also, there'll be 10 to 12 minute videos on each of these sessions that are done by Vaughan himself. So if I've said something that maybe is a bit confusing, feel free to go back and watch Vaughan or go, go back and watch me. Um, the websites are down the bottom. There's also copies of all this kind of stuff um, there. And I've done it so that when your page opens up, 
you've got the talk outline number one and then you've got the Bible study for unit one. So if you're in a small group, you'll be studying these across small groups. Um, But if you're not in a small group or your small group meets fortnightly, feel free to do that study by yourself. It's designed for either group or personal study. So feel free to just kind of um, work through that in your own time. They're not long studies. So if if it's something you're keen in, then that would be fantastic. Alrighty, well, I'm going to start by praying and then we'll get into it. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that from the beginning, the very beginning, that you were there in creation, that God is eternal and that um, we are created beings. We thank you that you make that hierarchy clear and so that we, um, we can know that you are bigger than us, you have... Um, set a plan in motion, you are intimately interested and involved in that plan uh, and that we can um, see and observe and understand that plan by looking at your word. We thank you that you've given your scriptures to us, that we might know you better, that we might come to love you more and that we might be changed by your spirit to look more like you and we look forward to what you have to say to us today. Amen. Okay, so let's start with the Bible. So, the Bible... uh, Now I've lost my page. Gosh, good start. Moment one. The Bible is the book that we are working from. It is a very old book. Um, It has had a deeper impact on human history than any other book though not many people know what's actually in it. They might know bits and pieces, they may know the general gist, but the actual detail of what's in the scriptures from beginning to end is fairly unusually known, even amongst people who go to church. So um, one of the things when I went to Bible college, one of the first things that was on my list to know was that I wanted to know the books of the Bible in order. And that was my kind of priority for when I got there. (laughs) Well, not priority. That was the one thing that I was like, I know that I don't know that. I'd like that ticked off by the time I finish. Turns out when you're in Bible college, they assume that you know (laughs) the order of the books in the Bible, that you might have been around Christianity a while and you might have that. So it was not their priority. So I learned a whole lot of other stuff, but I still don't know the order of the books of the Bible. Um, Patches of them, but not all of them. So the thing is too, is that It's the thing that Christians base their whole world view on, or that's what we're supposed to do. Um, We're supposed to filter all our experiences, all our intentions, all our plans, things that we do through the lens of Scripture and serving Jesus in those choices that we make. And yet so many of us don't actually know very well what's in there. Um, and, and unfortunately, when, things, when the rubber hits the road, if we're relying on somebody else who's teaching us what's in the Bible and we're not actually reading it for ourselves or spending time learning more across the breadth of the scriptures, then we tend to find that we've got a second-hand faith. We've got somebody else's faith that we've just kind of tacitly agreed with. And when the rubber hits the road, it just doesn't stand up to much. So it's important that we actually know what's in there And we understand the whole story so that when things get hard, we've got a lot to fall back on that's actually ours rather than things we've just agreed with that we've heard along the way. So the aims for this nine weeks 
is that we'll have an overview for understanding, so we still won't be able to get into the detail as much as would be ideal, but then we'd need a whole lifetime for that plus more. But also that we'll grow in knowledge of God and love of him as well in response. So the Bible, one book. We know because it comes like this or sometimes in a phone, but it's one book. But it also has 66 books in it. So it's a collection of books in one book. 66 books that have a whole lot of different writers from different circumstances and situations, but one author. So we see in 2 Timothy 3.16. Ah, switch it on. Here we go. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed. And is useful. Oh, different translation. Right. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So, what we've got up here, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Must be New King James. Profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The screen up the back's flickering just in case you're, and so it just flicked out at the key time. So we've got all these writers that have written the Bible, but actually God is the one who inspired the writing. So he has endorsed it. He's given his seal of approval. He said, this is my word revealed to people and you can trust it. Um, So yes, human people wrote it, but he gave them the authority to do so. And he said, I authorise this. This is mine. This is the one place where you can go and actually know who I am and I have approved what has been said. There is one subject, Jesus Christ. So we see in Luke 24, 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus has said, up until this point, all the scriptures are actually talking about me. So we know that Jesus is the sum total of the Old Testament. We also know that he's what's in the New Testament because if you've read any of the New Testament, you know that it's about Jesus, particularly the Gospels, but then the letters are talking about now that Jesus has been, this is what we need to do going on. Uh, there is one story. So the story, there are so many little bits and pieces. Obviously, in Sunday school, you tend to do the kind of the characters. We follow different characters through um, because we see the way that different people have followed and sought to interpret the God that they're following. Um, But the story across the whole of Scripture that starts in the very beginning and continues, doesn't finish at the end, continues on even now, is... God's plan to save the world through Jesus. And that was only ever plan A. That was never plan B. So when humans ate the fruit in the garden, which I'm getting forward to next week, but when they ate the fruit in the garden, Jesus, or God, didn't sort of say, ruined, now I've got to come up with something else. You, which... (laughs) Some of us might say to our children, oh, now I've got to change the plan. No, God knew what was coming. Plan A was always that Jesus was going to come and and save the world. So that's the one story that runs all the way through. Um, But because it's one book too, 
we need to remember that the Old Testament and the New Testament are actually one story together. So reading one without the other is like reading a murder mystery where you've torn it in half and you've given the first half to one person and the second half to the other person and you've said, here's a murder and here's who did it, now work out how it all fits together. You do need to read them together. There is value in reading the New Testament alone, but it makes so much more sense when you read it in relation to the Old Testament. So I hope that I will show you that quite clearly. So in the Old Testament, we have the promise. So you might remember, as we've looked at Old Testament passages before, there's always this looking forward to what will happen, how God will resolve the situation that has been created with sin entering the world. And the New Testament is the fulfilment of that promise, talking about that Jesus is the one who was always meant to come and that there is still, he is still yet to come and we are living in those days. Um, So we've got the resolution in the fulfilment, um, but we've also got context that comes from the Old Testament. So it gives us context for things like why Jesus is called the Christ, why he's referred to as the Passover lamb, why he's called the son of David, all these ideas that we just kind of tacitly agree with because we've heard them so many times, they all come from the Old Testament and they have huge, huge weight to them that when, you just, when it just rolls off your tongue, you don't tend to sort of... There's just so much understanding that comes from those terms that if we know the Old Testament well has so much more richness and volume than if we just use them based on where we see them in the New Testament. And there are other things. There are plenty of examples where Jesus is ministering to people and that sort of thing or um, when he's calming the storm or uh, walking on water or um, casting out demons where it's actually fulfilling direct prophecy or showing how much power he has and that he is indeed the God that the Jews are waiting for. Um, But that means more when we know the Old Testament well. So the chief focus of Jesus' teaching is the kingdom of God. Um, So that's um, one of the things that he talks about most, especially in his parables. The kingdom of God is like dot, dot, dot. And that's the story that we're going to follow through. So we're looking at the kingdom of God from creation through to the end of the scriptures in Revelation and how that then projects forwards. Um, And so that's the idea that we're following through. And Vaughan Roberts, helpfully, because there's nothing new under the sun. We know this, right? So Graham... uh, Vaughan Roberts has heavily borrowed material from Graham Goldsworthy, who wrote this enormous tome called Gospel and Kingdom. So he wrote Gospel and Kingdom, which is massive. Vaughan Roberts wrote a very small, very readable, fantastic book called God's Big Picture, and I'm distilling that for you today. So we're not, we're piggybacking on a whole stack of other stuff, but if you want to read even more depth, Gospel and Kingdom, I can endorse to you. But the kingdom of God, the way that Vaughan describes it, and you'll see that there's a, um, a little table on your this middle column. The kingdom of God is when God's people are in God's place under God's rule and blessing. So that is what we'll be tracking all the way through. So we're looking at the different eras that are in the scriptures and we'll look at whether it is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing and we'll assess where they are based on those three ideas and where we are today too based on those. So this first one is the pattern of the kingdom. So we have now, we're going to have eight, it's nine weeks but one of them split over two, eight P words. (laughs) So you'll need to remember two things. 
the God's big people are God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing and the P words that come with that. And today is the pattern of the kingdom. So this is where we see the pattern of the kingdom being set as to how God's intentions for the kingdom of God would be throughout the rest of time. So the pattern of the kingdom, and we see this in God's creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So from Genesis 1-1, the very first sentence in the Bible, the first thing that God wants to say to his people, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What we know from this is that God alone is eternal. He's the only one. He created everything else. He alone is eternal. He came before. He comes before. At his word, the universe came into being. Uh, We see that um, uh, in the next verse. He spoke and it occurred, which is incredible power. And what we see from that too is that God is the creator, so the rightful ruler of all. Just as when we create something, we have some authority over how it should be used or how it should be interpreted or especially, you know, if you take art, for example, you've got an artist who produces something that has meaning and is attempting to convey some sort of idea or story or it's attempting to communicate something. And they have control over what that original communication was. They can say, yeah, this is what I intended for this. And they can correct anybody else who says, that's not what that's about. This is what that's about. And they can say, no, actually, (laughs) I created it. I know what it's about. But the difference is also that an artist creates something and then puts it out into the world, hopefully, and gives it free to the interpretation of other people. So you can say, no, that's what I intended for it. But somebody else can say, that's not what I see, this is what I see. Which is great, it's the benefit of art. And God has given us that capacity to say, you may have intended it it to be this way, but we have say, we have capacity to change that, we can disagree with you. And he says, yep, you can, but that's not what it's intended for. And so he has that power in a way that nobody else has. He knows what he intended the world for, what he intended people for, And so we should recognise that that we don't have any more authority than he has given us to identify that. Does that make sense? That's very wordy. So God is the creator, so the rightful ruler of all. He knows what was meant to happen and he was the one who set it in motion, so he has ultimate authority. Uh, When we then get to Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made... And it was very good. It was very good. He was very happy with it. And so what we see there is that matter matters. It's not just our souls that are important, but actually the created world, the rocks and the trees and the mountains, the birds, the sea life, the dinosaurs, the whatever, whatever, us, matter matters. It's very good. And so we're not on about only saving souls, we're on about saving bodies too. Um, We are not disassociated from body and soul, which is very deliberately set against the Greek idea of the time, that we were all about just the spiritual bits and the body was evil and we needed to shed the evil body, but actually no, our body is redeemed too. 
we then see Genesis 1, 27 to 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So we see God was created, God created humans in his image. Um, looking like him in character, not necessarily physically. He created male and female and he blessed them. We have dignity as those set apart. We are over and above the rest of the created world. We have been given responsibility to rule over those things, but to do so in a responsible way. We are full of dignity, no matter who we are. That every single person has dignity and worth because God has said that they're good and they have authority over creation. And sometimes we feel, find that easier to believe for other people, but we find it kind of hard for ourselves. Um, I know I try and work a bit hard to be a contributing member of society and think that I'm a bit of a failure if I've let somebody down or haven't done what, um, what I thought I might do, but actually it's totally irrelevant what I do or what I contribute, that purely by existing we have worth and value before anything happens, before we do anything, say anything, think anything, we have worth and value. And it's sometimes hard to think of that for other people too, especially politicians. <laughs> um, we are to fill the earth and subdue it um, responsibly. We have been given the authority and the responsibility to look after our earth well, to fill it and subdue it, but in a way that is perfect and sustaining. That's a whole other sermon in how we look after the environment. I have one of those too. Um, Genesis 2.2 then says... Oh, now I'm not working. Okay, Genesis 2.2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. So ever since that seventh day, God has rested he is no longer creating, but he is sustaining. And that is where we sit currently in the sustaining work of God who keeps all things hanging together and working as it should. Um, obviously in a flawed way because sin has entered the world, but that is, God is not um, creating in the scale that he did when um, the earth was created and humanity was created. But he also we see that the pattern has shifted in Genesis 2. If you've had a look um, through Genesis before, which I'm sure many of us have, we have the in the morning, in the evening, the first day, and it was good, in the evening, in the morning, the second day, and it was good. We see that all the way through. God, um, God decided he created evening and morning, um, the day finished. But at the end of day seven, at the end of day six, sorry, we see none of that. We just have evening, morning, very good, and then nothing. He just rested. We don't have that pattern for day seven. And so God's eternal aim now is that human beings will rest with him. 
So that's what we're aiming for. That's the kingdom of God. That's that eternal rest with God um, so that we can join him in that spiritual rest. Uh, so we then shift into Genesis 2. Oh, good. <laughs> My children are back. Um, Genesis 2, 4 to 5, uh, where we see a second complementary account to the first chapter. So it's not the same thing being told. It's not two different things being told. It's the same thing being told from a slightly different viewpoint. So from the viewpoint of humanity. So a second complementary account focusing on humanity, Genesis 2, 4 to 5. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So that's the indication that he's kind of shifting. And we start to see the pattern of the kingdom. So we see the relationships between God and human beings, the perfect relationships that he had instilled. So Genesis 2, 17, um, we've got this perfect relationship where he says everything is for grabs, everything is up for grabs. I am available to you all the time. You don't even need to hunt me out to seek me out. I am there. And we have this perfect relationship Um, The only prohibition, he says, you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of God and evil for when you eat... Sorry. I don't know why. Um, Yes, sorry, right. Yes, so... um, But then, of course, the serpent comes in and starts to undermine that perfect relationship. But you must not um, eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. So... Satan then immediately starts to kind of, are you sure that this relationship is perfect? But up until that point, it had been so totally perfect. Um, Perfect between man and woman too. So Adam and Eve, Genesis 2.25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. So this perfect relationship of just cohabitation that is peaceful and, um, and safe and loving and just totally unadulterated with thinking, overthinking and abuse and any of the things that kind of get in the way of relationships not working so well with each other. So we've got the perfect relationship between God and human beings. We've got the perfect relationship between human beings and each other. And we've got the perfect relationships between human beings and creation. So the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to, in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So he knew exactly what he was meant to do. It was easy work because it's not until the repercussions of next week come out that the work gets hard, the ground gets hard to work. So it's this easy relationship: God, humans, humans in each other, and humans and creation. And so that's where our pattern sits. The pattern is that God's people are Adam and Eve. God's place is the Garden of Eden. And he said, this is for you. Everything you need is here. And God's rule and blessing is that they have perfect relationships with each of those three elements. And that's the pattern that's been set. We've got this idyllic panorama of what life should be. And so together they're to obey God's instruction, to work and subdue the land... And all things together bring glory to God. Pretty amazing. Be so nice to be there. 
Um, so that's the pattern that is set. That's what we're hoping for as we run all the way through. So God's plan for the kingdom that then gets outworked through the rest of the scriptures is to return to this pattern. And that's what we'll be tracing through the rest of the Bible as we go. So how did I do time-wise? Oh my gosh, that's never happened. Praise Jesus, people. This just doesn't happen. <laughs> Oh, I, no. <laughs> no, you do not want the waffle that comes from that. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, so feel free. As I said, all those things are available online. You can watch it again. You can do notes. You can read the book. I do have a couple of copies of the book if you're interested. So, um, yeah, so, but come back next week. We'll do week two. I'm going to pray for us, and then the kids will come back in, and then we'll move into... Not yet. Do you want me to pray then or do you want to? Okay. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your part in creation, that you were there when it was all done, um, that you created perfection and loved it um, and love us, that you created a world that um, worked in harmony that showed the pattern of what was to be. And Lord, we look forward to a day when that will happen again, when we will be just like the pattern, that we will be your people in your place under your rule and blessing in its entirety. And so Lord, as we look through the rest of the scriptures in the following weeks, we ask that you would be keeping that vision in mind of what we're striving towards, of what we're hoping for, that when things get tricky, that we can cast our eyes and know that this is not the final point, that we are promised an outcome that is even better than the pattern, where there is no tree that we can eat from, where there is no need to um, exercise our own authority, but that actually we will just be with you in your rest, worshipping you, and living in glory. What an amazing vision to look forward to and strive for. We thank you for um, your word to us and the ways we can learn from it. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. All righty. Bring the kids in. They're in. <laughs>